0: Welcome back to another episode of Wisp Pro Sports. My name is Jesse McNamara. I'm the host. This podcast, we recap the last week in the Packers, the Brewers, and the Bucks. And you can listen to this podcast on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google, hopefully pretty much anything that has podcasts. That's the goal. Without further ado, let's get right into what happened in the Packer game yesterday. The Packers yesterday, they had the noon kickoff. They played at Lambeau Field against the Washington Redskins, who were going into the game the exact opposite record of the Packers. They were 3-9 going in, the Packers 9-3. A game they absolutely should have won. It was a nice stretch they've had the last two weeks where they got to play the terrible Giants and the terrible Redskins, and both were wins as expected. This one, however, has gotten a lot of people upset because... Outside of the first quarter, where the Packers scored two touchdowns, they really weren't impressive the rest of the way, and only one by five to a team they just they just they just should have destroyed them. And they even had a chance to kick the onside, and it was a terrible onside. It was a good kick, but I mean they had no chance of covering it. In any case, they were an onside kick away from having a chance at winning this game. They didn't. Let's get that out of the way right now. And we are ten and three. Ten and three. No Packers rookie head coach has ever got to double digit wins none of them so every single win for the last three weeks is just adding to his legacy as a rookie head coach that being said we're we're not gonna you know talk trash about the Packers this whole time because that's all anybody's doing right now is talking about how we look like the worst worst playoff team this year by far and Even if that, even if you believe that's true, what is also true, hard fact, the Packers are the number two seed right now in the entire NFC. I don't know how much trash you could possibly talk about a team that's number two, currently sitting as a bye team, one of the four bye teams in the NFL, and you're saying they're terrible. And we're 13 weeks in. That's that just doesn't make sense to me, and I understand all the frustration, but let's just let's just, you know, take it easy. It's 10 and 3. There's only one team ahead of us right now, and it's the 49ers, and they've clearly earned it. And I'm not saying I'm not worried about the 49ers or the Saints, because if you watch that game, I mean we wouldn't have hung in that game. Not even a chance. All that out of the way. We're 10 and 3. The offense looked rough. The passing game looked rough more specifically. <clears throat> Aaron Rodgers, 18-28, 195, for a touchdown, no interceptions, and he was sacked four times. Not great. Not great, Bob. It was it was a lot of people's fault. I mean, and, it, and the biggest fault it was, was Aaron Rodgers, and that's why I don't know why we're so worried. If anything in the history has told us is that if Aaron Rodgers is a problem one week, he's kind of got figure it figured out for the next. He's kind of like a Giannis in that way. You know, he's going to come back firing. He even explained after the game that he knew he was an issue. He didn't have things synced up with his wide receivers. He was taking too long to get the rid of the ball. He just missed some open guys. It's It just happens in a week. You just don't want it to happen in December games. And I'm not going to lie. A little concerning that they're still missing guys. But I think a lot of that has to do with the, the play calling as well. I don't see why guys like Geronimo Allison are even getting that many touches when it's not that they shouldn't be getting touches, it's that Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard clearly should be getting way more touches than the rest of the team. Like, just obviously they should. And this week, they they definitely did. I still don't like Jimmy Graham getting five targets, but he did catch three of them, so it's getting better. It's not the worst thing. <clears throat> Aaron Jones, just by far our best player on the on the offensive side. Just not even close. He is the leading receiver and the leading rusher in the game. He had 16 carries for 134 yards. That's an 8.4 average, and that 42 yard was his long. And he also had 6 catches for 58 yards. So, quick math, that's just under 200 yards for Aaron Jones, and it just could have... That's I mean, that's about as much as Aaron Rodgers threw for in the entire game. It was a whole Aaron Jones show on the, on the offensive side, and I mean, they came out. They came out ready. Clearly, the the play calling, the scripted play calling, was was prepared for the Redskins. But after that, it was it was tough to watch. the The after press conferences were just were just kind of like they just knew what they were doing wrong, and that's why I feel I feel all right about it. It's like if anybody is going to know how to take care of this, it's going to be the team. As long as the team knows it, as long as Matt LaFleur and his staff know that they have the correct things. That's all we can ask, right? We have three games left. We sit as the number two seed in our first season with this whole new system. Let's just all take it real easy right now and not just take one week as the whole season. Let's take it real easy. We have seen every facet of the game from defense to passing to running this year. They've all had their moments. We know they can if they're going to, we still have yet to see if they're all going to click at the same time. We have to wait and see. Next week will be a big test. The Bears are getting a Keem Hicks back. So, big test for the de- for the uh for the offense. The defense was there's no complaints there. 15 points I it doesn't. Nope. It doesn't matter. That last touchdown was just a crazy catch. They where forcing fumbles just everywhere. They just happen to not fall on them. I mean, you can't really do nothing about that. Overall, it was just, I mean, even Blake Martinez, he he led the team in tackles again. He was—he got right up. He was making tackles in the backfield. Like, that's just something we haven't seen in the past from Blake Martinez very much. I mean, the defense just, they swallowed them up. They didn't really have much of a run game. They broke out a few. They had one single drive where the AP was actually running all over us after a guy had gotten injured, but that was it. I mean, we sacked Dwayne Haskins four times, and given he was immobile after, but that was only after um, like three quarters or so, he he couldn't really move. I don't know why they kept him in the game. It's not like they're going for playoffs or anything. I don't know why you keep your young franchise QB in so long, but nevertheless, Packers did get four sacks on him and only allowed 76 yards on 20 carries from Adrian Peterson. That was awesome. Geis was starting to bust some. He had five carries for 42 yards, but again, he got injured and wasn't an issue. And in the Washington receiving core, they only targeted four total receivers. I will go down the list. Seven targets, eight targets, seven targets, four targets. For reference, the Packers had seven more targets. Seven more different receivers targeted than... Washington didn't they're not they're literally only looking at four guys and still they I mean they Jair is a sticky is a sticky dude on all those deep balls wherever a ball was thrown at Jair's direction he was right there even Amos stepped up and in the absence of Kevin King for this game they needed all the secondary, all hands on deck, and a lot of those sacks, or at least a couple of those sacks of the four that the Packers got, were due to secondary just having great coverage and Dwayne Haskins having really nowhere to go. So, in terms of just we're just looking at this game, defense, you could probably give them a B, maybe a B plus. The run game, you give. I mean, I don't know how much more we can expect. Maybe an A minus. I guess if you want to leave room for improvement. And the pass game is, I mean, that's below average, right? We got to give that maybe a D plus, a C minus. It's a win. You'd rather learn, and just as Roger said after the game, you'd rather learn from your mistakes after a win than a loss. It's just better that way, obviously. So we don't have to worry yet, but we do have to look ahead at three divisional games left. We got the Bears at home, and then we got to play the Vikings and Detroit on the road. The Bears have a, a, made a resurgence. They are now above 500, and again, they are getting Akeem Hicks back, which can free up Khalil Mack. So, all eyes are going to be on the O line next week for the Packers. We'll see how they hang, and then after that, if they can get that win, uh, a big one after that with Minnesota. If you can get those next two wins, I don't see how we don't close out with a 13 and three season. But that's just not—it's just not that easy. So. We will see, but bottom line, we got to stop worrying so much about one game, one snapshot when you are the number two seed right now and with a very real path to keep that two seed. I mean, you went out and, I mean, it, the ball's in your court. It's all good here. So, we'll, I mean, we'll have to see, but next week, Bears, that's the only game we can focus on right now. Moving on now to the Bucks. I'll admit the favorite part about this podcast is talking about the Bucs. I love the Bucs. I write about the Bucs. And we finally have some actual, I, I guess, a kind of a measure for how good we actually have been in this past 14 game winning streak right now. 14 now. That's, I think, this is probably my third or fourth week in a row now on here. Just saying about how we won all the games we played in the last week. We only played two. It was just the Knicks and the Clippers, and the Knicks are probably the worst team in all the NBA, and they fired their coach a couple days after the Bucs played them. Not because of the Bucs, but I mean, obviously that's a part of it. They're just overall horrible. The game that was really important, the one that we're going to talk about, is the one with the Clippers, because in this 14-game win streak, they are by far the best team the Bucks have played. It was their first real test in quite some time the Clippers are still considered title favorites. As of this morning, the Clippers and the Lakers are tied with plus 250 odds. while the Bucks are at plus 400. They moved, they moved up from plus 500 after last week's win against the Clippers. So this game, our final score was one 91. That's a 28 point win for the Bucks. And it truthfully felt much, much bigger. So off the start, I mean the both teams were shooting awfully off the off the jump. For the first like 7 8 minutes there was almost no score. I think the Bucks had 6 points in the first 7 minutes. It was 10 to 6 at that point. And then the final 5 minutes they they just went off and scored, you know. They got to 30 by the end of the quarter and they were up 30 to 15 by the end of the first quarter. And that was largely due to the Bucks bench. That's important. Especially in this game because the Clippers bench is supposed to be their greatest strength and why they are a title contender. As they take uh they take Lou Williams, who is uh the best, he's the sixth a perennial sixth man of the year every single year. He is a scoring machine, a scoring guard off the bench every single time. He never starts. And they also have Montrez Harrell, who is if there was a seventh man award, he'd be getting that. If Lou Williams wasn't there, he would probably be getting 6 man because he is—he's an undersized uh, big man. He likes to play a lot of center. When they go small, they start Ivaksub, Zubats. Excuse me, it's hard to say for me. Uh, that's their starting center, and he's a normal size—you know, seven foot dude. Montrezl six nine, undersized, and uh, usually an absolute beast. But the Bucks bench had every answer for everything. Brooke Lopez couldn't shoot at the beginning. Giannis wasn't finding lanes. So once the bench subbed in, it was it was lights out somehow. Pat Connaughton just raining down threes. Ursan Ilyasova finding his groove. Dante DiVincenzo getting in literally every passing lane. I I mean, it was it was the most fun I've seen watching that first quarter. I was so, so amped up because this was, I mean, a Friday night game to get to play L.A. at home. And this is not, not to mention our last meeting with the Clippers of the two this year. The only other time they can play this year is if they meet in the finals in June. So it was it was a very I was very pumped up for this game and it it absolutely delivered. The second quarter wasn't as good for the Bucs. They only scored twenty two points. It was the only quarter that they didn't get to thirty. And I mean, that's not a big deal considering the Clippers never made it to thirty in any quarter. They were up seven and a half. And the first few minutes of the second half were slow. And still trying to feel out if this game was going to be close or a blowout. And then Giannis just went absolutely nuclear, and he scored ten points in like two seconds. I mean, it was it was over for for them. And it was it was just the most dominating, awesome, awesome thing to see. That from top to bottom, it was dominant, and our best player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Didn't even play that much or comparatively that well When with or didn't use his time on the floor that well. If you're not familiar with the plus minus stat, it's just the, if you're plus whatever, that's how many points you were up while you're on the floor for that game. If it's minus, it's how many points you were down while you're on the floor in that game. Giannis was a, was the only positive player. He was the lowest positive player. He was only a plus seven in this game. Eric Bledsoe, plus 28. Wes Matthews, plus 18. Ersan Ilyasov. we're getting to the bench now, plus 24. And the real kicker here, Pat Connaughton, in his 21 minutes, that's a lot for him, in his 21 minutes, plus 35. The bench was absolutely everything here. And again, I can't stress enough how important that is considering the Clippers are considered to be the deepest team in the NBA. I think we I think that's pretty clear that they're not anymore. I think they're gonna have to prove it. They have a lot of work to do. Their whole offense has a lot of work to do. Again, I don't know how much you pay attention to the NBA if you're listening to this, but the Clippers added two of the best players in the NBA. The third runner-up, I guess the second runner-up, third place in the MVP voting last year. Paul George was added to the roster. He is also. Always a top three defender. And then the guy that tormented the Bucks and Giannis last playoffs, Kawhi Leonard, was added over the offseason as well. The Finals MVP, the I mean, some consider the best defender in the NBA. It's Giannis, but some people say it. They were absolutely trash. Just trash. Leonard, George, Harrell. And Lou Williams usually combined for nearly 90 points a game. And in this one, they combined for less than 50. That's pretty much the story. Kawhi Leonard shooting five for 14. Paul George, five for twelve. Where am I where am I finding Harold? Three for seven. Not bad. And then Williams, five for thirteen. Williams, Leonard, George all had five turnovers each. They just were, they were just not prepared for the Bucs. This is what I'm saying about the Bucs. They don't need to have that second start. They don't need to be the Kawhi, Paul George. They don't need to be the LeBron, Anthony Davis. They just need to be the Bucs. They are one year further into the system than pretty much every other team that shook up their team in the offseason. They know exactly who, who they are, where their teammates are going to be, at what time, and the Clippers had no idea of any of that on their own side. And, at, I mean... They're not the they're not the leader of LA right now. The Lakers are pretty clearly. The Lakers have are twenty one and three right now, compared to the Bucks twenty and three, and uh, have been on a roll. Uh, and the Bucks will get their shot at them in a couple weeks. They probably the Bucks will win their next. I believe it's five games before they have to play the Lakers. So if they win their next five games, that that win for I believe it is the franchise tying. game, Win streak record at twenty games would that be? I think that would be against the Lakers, and that would be December nineteenth. So that's that's what we're keeping an eye on right now. It's kind of looking ahead, but it's kind of hard not to when the first real test of a long long win streak is a title contender and you annihilate them. That's just kind of what you're going to think about naturally. So I'm pumped for that Lakers game. I'm pumped for the Bucks right now. The do play tonight. I'm just, it'll just be a great week. It's another normal week now. We got four games this week. Let's just see him, let's just see him annihilate some more teams because even during this win streak earlier, they weren't really doing that. They were kind of winning kind of close games against not very good teams. And then these last four, they're setting records with their margin of victory. And there's no reason that they can't do it every time, especially because Giannis is able to play all these games. That's the other last thing I want to touch on here. I just, I just didn't want to forget. You hear a lot about load management in the NBA. People don't really, or players don't really, and coaches don't take the regular season as seriously as they used to. They like to rest their stars and just wait for the playoffs to come. And that's when the game's matter. They'll be ready. They'll be rested, not injured. The Bucs are doing their own form of that in the way that they just blow out teams. And then they don't need to use those players anymore. And especially when the bench is as good as as it has been, you really don't need to use them as much. Giannis, only 26 minutes tonight. No, in the, That was the most of any any player on the team. rest of the starters had between 23 and 25, and even the bench at least had nine minutes. That's just called I mean, distributing your minutes, and it's it's really effective, especially when the bench can score like it did with Ersan, 13 points, Steven Chenzo, 11, Conton 13. You even have George Hill with six on two for three. It's just all you need. If everybody's distributing like they are, the Bucks are going to be unstoppable, and that test with the Lakers, man, that's going to be that's the one. If if they can pass that with flying colors, which I don't think anybody should expect it to go like the Clippers game did, but if it goes anything like that, I don't see how the Bucks don't automatically go to the top of the title favorites. That's their last test right now. It's just it's just the fact that we're Milwaukee in their LA at this point. So if you're looking to make some money, a future bet on the Bucks probably isn't a bad idea, judging from the way. The rest of the country is perceiving the bucks right now. Lastly, as always, we will talk about the Brewers. They've been busy lately. They've been kind of busy. I think I touched last week, I believe it happened before, where we acquired Luis Urias, the second baseman, who I'm not really sure what's his role going to be yet, but you know, we'll figure that out. Basically, what we have left to fill... Was what we had left to fill was the catcher position. We got third base, we got first base, a little bit of outfield depth was needed, and then we absolutely need starting pitching. Well, in the past week, the catcher situation seems to be figured out. After Yasmani Grandal got signed, there weren't really many options left. So the Brewers went out and traded for Omar Nerveus. He was a Chicago White Sox. And he is, he's not grand doll. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat. He's not grand doll. He is a pretty good hitter. If he can keep up last year's numbers, he had a career high 22 home runs last year. And I think people are saying it's kind of a fluke year for him because he usually averages about 10 home runs a year. Um, but if you recall, uh, I think it's pretty generally accepted that the balls were juiced last year and I don't think, I think that's probably what, what, what the MLB is thinking is that's good for baseball. I'm sure, I'm sure people want to watch home run balls all the time. I doubt that's going to change. I bet you the home, the ball, whatever happened to it is going to stay the same. And he's even going to a, another friendly, a hitter friendly ballpark like Miller park. It's it, that works out in that sense. On the flip side, he is an awful, awful, terrible defender. He is not going to be, he's not going to do anything special for us. He's, he's probably one of the worst catching catchers in the league. And why, I mean, that's obviously in itself is concerning, but what we don't have to worry about is that he's not going to be playing as much as Grandal. He's not going to be the everyday guy. First off, he's not a switch hitter, so he's obviously not as useful, but he does hit opposite of Manny Pena. That's what our goal is. We do have Manny Pena still at catcher, and it's really just going to be a big tandem this year. That's going to be the goal is just switching those guys off as much as possible. And hopefully, hopefully we can teach nerveus a little bit of defense in the process, but I mean, let's just be ready for that. Okay. Let's just be ready for some, some rough catcher plays behind the plate. And also he's not great at framing pitches. So, I mean, on the bright side, he's better than Wilson Contreras, but the bad part about that is, is Wilson Contreras is dead last. So, yeah, his defense is bad. His offense is pretty, pretty good. It's definitely above average for a catcher, so that's exciting. But the real good part is he's coming in cheap. He's coming in, I believe, around $3.5 million. That's not so bad. We, can, we have a lot of money to play with still. There's a lot of holes left obviously there's still the corner infield and starting pitching really is needs to be addressed what I've seen for that so far is you know just uh there's so many players left there's a lot of speculation what we can expect is them to spend uh we're not going to be spending a ton of money on one player I don't think I guess not I mean we could be it'd be one player but it's not going to be anything where we're talking about like these big markets where We're not going to be going after a Garrett Cole, obviously. We're not going to be going after uh, Anthony Rendon. I'd say our absolute ceiling for a pitcher would be probably Dallas Keuchel. Maybe we could get him at like a three-year 64. And, and I mean, not not and. Absolutely not and. Or, 100% or, we could maybe fill that third baseman with Josh Donaldson. Maybe a short contract. No, maybe you can fit both those into the same team, but I don't know how you're going to fill up The rest of uh, the starting pitching needs we'll have. You still have to figure out first base. Maybe we can get a uh, we can reunite with Thames. I'm not really sure. There's a lot left to play. I just think we need to expect that the payroll is going to be a little bit down this year. It's only at 60 million right now. Last year it was at a total of 130 million. Obviously, there's still a lot of time to fill out that last 70 million. But people don't seem too convinced that it's going to get to that. We're not going to get all the way up to that 130 mark. It might be a little lower. We'll have to wait and see, obviously. There's a lot of time, but pieces are starting to fall into place, and winter meetings are happening right now. It's kind of time for the Brewers to figure out what they're going to do if they're going to do something uh, big. So just keep an eye out for the Brewers news, and we'll always talk about it on here to recap it if you miss it. Also, in a little less significant news, if you remember Keon Broxton, he was with the team two years ago. He got some... Opportunity to play a little bit more than he had in Milwaukee last year. Didn't do so hot, but he wasn't terrible. And he is back now on a minor league deal with the Brewers. So there's some outfield depth there after Trent Grisham leaving. We'll just have to see how he pans out. But he was a fun player, at least. So, uh, I mean, in that sense, not too upset about it. I think that is about it, though. I don't think anything else happened, I guess. Keep an eye out for the NBA trade it's happening, but we'll worry about that more next week. People aren't really, or players aren't, most of them aren't el- eligible until uh, December 15th, and uh, we'll worry about it then. I don't know if we're going to be doing anything right away anyway, so it's not really important for the Bucks. It's just kind of important for the league. Thank you guys for listening to Episode 17. If you have any feedback, feel free to shoot it my way. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. I'll see you guys next week.